The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 242 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in LA, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? Doing well. It's a rainy day in LA. It's been raining for like weeks here. Yeah, I've seen I don't know that on that social media. I've seen a you lot have. of people talking about rain in LA and how it's the new Seattle. Is that true? <laughs> I guess. Don't like it. We're not built for the rain. What what ruined your mood more? The rain or UVA losing in the first round? You know what? You talked me out of UVA. So I luckily only took them a couple rounds. I have Creighton in the finals. That's the one I'm going for right now. They're still having a good shot. They're playing Princeton minus 10 on the lot of sports book and other places i kind of i don't necessarily like them to cover but i'm saying like i i'm feeling good about that one bet the one thing i thought we probably we probably won't break down many ncaa tournament no. games specifically but uh, i will say it was very funny to watch missouri have to go zone because they couldn't keep uh princeton in front of them which is like you know obviously princeton doesn't have athletes or whatever but given the style that they play if you're not prepared to guard it and on a one-day prep, that type of offense is very hard to put in if you don't play it on a regular basis. And there's nobody in the Big 12 – or wait, Missouri's in the SEC now, sorry. There's nobody in the SEC that, like, runs a Princeton-style offense. So it's it's interesting, right? I would expect – actually, I think that minus 12 is – or minus 10 is a pretty good number. Like, I would expect Creighton to win. They have a full week to do it. Doug McDermott is a pretty good X and O's guy. Like, I, I wouldn't expect to see Creighton get back His dad's pretty court. good, too. Um, you said Doug. Uh, what did I say? Doug Greg McDermott is a pretty good X's and O's guy. Not a good start. Sinus infection. I'm playing through the pain. You know, we're we're getting there. But you so. know what's interesting? You mentioned like you know surprises, and because let's lean it into like the uh, NBA prospects. Because I think there was some we talk about winners and losers. I think there was some talk like, hmm, maybe Zach Eady for Purdue is so productive that he could be an NBA guy. But it's like they just lost to not only a a 16 seed like statistically the worst 16 seed the team that had the worst defense in the field and i don't think he looked particularly good running around the 290 or whatever like i just don't see it at all i mean he's not he wasn't a lottery pick he might not have been a first rounder going into the tournament but i would file him in the loser category yeah interesting you know you were you were pretty down on zach ed after that game i uh it's it's funny. I think there was a number of things that like you normally call out that you could have called out for this game. Like Purdue has two freshman guards. Uh, they don't have a ton of really good shooters. And so basically FDU, Tobin Anderson actually just got the Iona job that happened today. It's Tuesday. Patino, obviously the St. John's, but they spread the floor. Uh, the guy that Zach Eady was supposed to guard had like a career high in points. And again, that, that's not a situation you'd expect to see often. Uh, but I, I didn't think Zach Eady was the problem, to be honest with you. Like, well, you know, I, I might they, overreact. Purdue was afraid to, to sh- those guys were afraid to shoot the basketball. Like, well, I, I overreact to like movement, I think. And that's why like, I watch yeah. Marvin Bagley and I'm like, hey, he looks like he's an all star just running around the court. It's Jaris, you're you're going to jack Jaris Walker way up in the draft, I think, once you start oh. watching more film because he moves 
pretty well. Right. Well, and Zach Eady runs like Frankenstein or something. You know, he, he just is, looks lumbering and like shifting side to side and just like, I'm like, I, I just don't see him running up and down the he, court. Like, I think there's an argument, you know, looking at, you know, Trace Jackson Edwards, what's his name? Trace Jackson uh, Davis. Davis, sorry. Trace Jackson Davis for Indiana. And like, oh, he's too small to be a big, he's 6'9". But I'm like, he's I think in the modern big. NBA, like, wouldn't you prefer 6'9 center versus 7'4 center? Uh, I think it depends. If you get Victor Wambinyana. I actually, like I said, I think this is like a deep dive. Like Mason Gillis, like might have been a draft prospect. I, I would take him off the board if he had him in like the hundreds or whatever, but you know, like they were afraid to lob the ball into Zach Eady. Like after you fronted him quite a bit and like nobody on Purdue could make that pass like all year, nobody in the big 10 ever fronted Zach Eady. It was so odd. They also doubled every single on off, like on the catch, every single possession, which I thought was interesting to watch. Cause like, it's very clear that Zach Eady is not quite there as a passer. Right. Which is another thing like Chase, Trace Jackson Davis, I thought was actually a pretty big winner. Um, they lost Miami in the second round, Indiana, but I, I thought he played great. Like he's yeah. shown show, shown so much improvement as a passer. Like he's old, obviously, but you know you're probably right in terms of like a backup combo big. Like he he does fit the modern mold of an NBA big man. I think he's not a great shooter. He hasn't taken a three, I don't think, this year. But like he can move the ball. Like you can, you can throw him in a horn set. He, he He's like capable. He knows what's going on. I still doubt he gets drafted, but. Well, know. I think he should get drafted. Cause I mean, look at the value. Like let's say he's the guy I'd comp him to like, I don't know, Dwight Powell level player, like, you know, rotational guy. He starts for the maps, but you know, probably shouldn't, but you know, like a rotational guy, rotational big. There's some value there. How much does Dwight Powell make? Like 10 million a year. He makes a lot, he makes a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, so you're telling me I could draft Dwight Powell in the second round and pay him two million dollars a year, a million and a half dollars a year for a few years. So this is the value there, and I think there's more value there than drafting like a Josh Primo type, who's never going to be good on his rookie contract, and then you're gonna he's gonna get expensive by the time he gets good if he ever gets good. I just think yeah, in terms of roster building, if you're just filling out the depth in your roster, I think these older guys are sometimes undervalued late in the second round i'm not saying you take him in the yeah. lottery and, and he he may be a, an early second round pick like i don't i don't see a ton of difference this is this is probably crazy and we're talking about guys that won't make that much difference i don't think but like no like i don't see a ton of difference in like trace jackson davis versus like jalen uh jalen wilson from kansas right like i think wilson has real first round buzz because he can play the wing a little bit but like they're older guys they're they've gotten better but like they're probably pretty close to what their ceiling is and so on a certain team, Jackson Davis might be better, but Wilson might be better on a different team. And I, I think it's like when I look at those guys, maybe I'd rather have, I don't know who's still in the tournament, Jaime Jaquez, than I would either one of those guys because he can put it down well, a little bit better. But Sticking with the bigs, I'm just curious your thoughts. Duke lost. They look good in the first round, lost in the second round. They're two big freshmen. Difference, because Kyle Filipowski was productive as a freshman, lively, probably has more upside. Did you have a takeaway? Like, if you were drafting at fifteen, who would you take between those? Lively, two? lively. Like, it's not close. Like, I don't, I don't know if Lively's shown enough on offense to sneak into the top ten. But like, Mark Williams has already proven to be a, a productive NBA big, and now he's further along offensively than Lively was. But Lively's better than him defensively. Like, Lively is better on the perimeter. He can switch. Like, he can uh, jump out and pick and rolls. Like, I, I've, I've been like, and he, he can make a three, right? Like when he was at Westtown. Everyone talked about how oh, he's going to be a great shooter or whatever, but 
he just is so limited on offense right now, but he is going to have range, I think, out to the three-point line. Like, But even so, you said it yourself to me recently. Like, his probably, if you see him, like, you can squint and you can see Rudy Gobert. He's probably, yeah, not that, he's probably not that tough, but in terms of what an NBA center is now, like, Lively is the guy. Well, then also, like, that's what I like. In the in the second round later, I don't mind getting value at, like, the older guys. But in the mid-first round, you're like, let's say I'm, I don't know, Portland. And my defense is always terrible. And Nurkic is on, like, a two- or three-year deal. So, you're like, you draft Lively, something like that, with the idea of, like, hey, I have two or three years to develop him into a starter. That's enough time. And then theoretically, the upside is like a, a good defensive starting center. I think that's can, valuable. Yeah. And I, I would say, like, honestly, Bovada sometimes does things like this. But if they have a like who will get drafted first prop on these specific two guys, Filipowski and Lively, like I would expect Lively to be a pretty big favorite by the time the draft rolls around. Because just like, you know, you do, you, you get to see the interviews and they're both going to interview pretty well. But Lively is going to test like his wingspan's like 7'10". He's going to do a big vertical. Like they're going to watch him. If he goes to the combine and does the shuttle run, like you're going to see how quick he is. Like he just seems like a guy that's really going to rise. And Filipowski, I, you know, we've seen some skilled guys come into the NBA, but it's it's tough if you're not a good athlete. Like if he, I don't know if he's going to be a five man, like maybe he can be Kelly Olynyk, but that's tough. Like even Kelly Olynyk struggles to play like meaningful minutes on a playoff team like he can be a good rotation player and I don't you know again I don't I always try to look for a cross-race comparison where I can but it's tough like is is that his ceiling like I I truly don't know he had a very good season but against Tennessee you know where the refs just let Tennessee just like absolutely beat the crap out of Duke like Filipowski wasn't great it was a bad film I think for him to have in terms of like all right can he play against better athletes can he guard better athletes can he get his shot against better athletes and now duke's guards are not very good right like jimmy Rhodes should have gone pro last year i think tyrese proctor will be a first round pick if he declares and definitely a first round pick next year but like their guards just aren't that good and filipowski really struggled in my opinion um speaking of shot blockers mentioned lively Jarese Walker, you alluded to, had six blocks in the second round, really turned on the defensive intensity, kind of a glue guy, do-it-all guy for the number one seed um, in their bracket. Do you? He's somebody who's been kind of creeping up from maybe, you know, 12 to 10 to 8. He's ranked six on Tankathon right now. Like, where do you see him? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, honestly, like, I'm not a ton. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I My guess is there's not enough to get him into the top five unless he was to really, really, really shoot it well, right? Because he's got to be able to he, – he just doesn't do enough great, in my opinion. I think he does a lot of things really well, right? And I think he has the makings of a guy who can play the five, he can play the four, he's probably more of a four. But, like, is he probably a guy that's a 25-minute, a game, you know, per game type of guy who's, like, 15 points, like, eight rebounds, a block or two? But in reality, like, he's never going to be a star. Like, where does that guy get drafted? Would you rather roll the dice on one of the Thompson twins? Would you rather roll the dice on Cam Whitmore? Because you think there might be more ceiling there. Uh, but Jairus Walker just he's way better than I ever thought he was going to be. He's way more fluid. He's super active. He plays hard. Obviously, Houston just guards their asses off. But I, I worry that there's not enough great with with Walker. It's just a lot of like he's just a good basketball player, as as crazy as that sounds. I, I think that he'll be a top eight pick, though. I'm curious, like I would like to do a deep dive on like the research of what college decisions say about somebody. So, for example, 
you know, Trace Walker's looked up. He's from Baltimore, apparently, or he went to no, IMG. He, he, well, he he is. He played Baltimore AAU basketball, but he's from uh, he's from like York, Pennsylvania. I think he's from okay, like, New so, an East Coast guy. Yeah, and you decide to go to Houston, which is a good team, a veteran team. Maybe I don't. You never know if they're making take money or not, but. Theoretically, you it know, is Kel- it is Kelvin yeah. Sampson. I would assume <laughs> yeah. there's uh, some exchange. He has a new car, fun. but in general, it's like, hey, you know, you're not going to be the top scoring option on this team if you're a one and done guy. Maybe he didn't know he's a one and done guy versus like, you know, the Ben Simmons type who go to a school that's not very good, knowing that I'm just going to put up numbers. Um, what does that say? How does that translate to the NBA? I don't know. I don't know if there's a correlation, but I'd be curious to know if the guys who go to good programs and know that they're going to be filling in the gaps turn out to be better yeah teammates i don't know i don't know either i think they sold him on this specific role to be honest like you're going to start you're going to play as many minutes as you can but you know you're going to be a huge cog in what we do but you know this the the role he t- he sort of plays is like more draymond greenish if you will where you yeah, know, that's he's, a good comp. He's super. I mean, I don't think that's who he is at the end. No, but in college, yeah, yeah, like who he is. Like he has the ball some, but not a ton. Like you know, and obviously Draymond, they played through him his senior year at Michigan State. But Draymond is a freshman, like you know, rebounder, energy, defense, whatever. And this is, like I guess, I mean, Houston. Marcus Sasser is probably going to be a first round pick. You know, he's a guy who can really shoot it from deep. But Houston's really talented. They're tough. They're deep. Like I was worried about them, but I don't. I mean, they obviously. I think they're the favorite on Bovada right now, but they definitely should be the favorite, in my opinion. Like, I, I think right they have the Damn. right collection of talent and age and coaching. Whereas, you know, we did see Brandon Miller have, you know, one bad game and then one just okay game against Maryland, even though Alabama, you know, won both games going away. Maybe we're a little bit concerned about Alabama, but like Houston's just always going to guard. They're always going to make it really hard on you. So, well, I, I you know, just, on on Bovada right now, Alabama and Houston have been the favorites. Alabama slightly ahead, plus three fifty. I think that partly that their bracket's softer right now because Arizona lost. Yep. Versus Houston, plus four hundred, they'd have to play probably Texas next round, which is hard. Wait, that would be an absolute banger of a game, Houston and Texas. Like Texas has been really good too. Like that game would be fun. Um, but. Yeah, and that's really pronounced in their their regionals. Like their their odds um, are better in their to make the to make the final four Alabama than than Houston. But once you get there, they're probably about even. What about? Um, I want to ask you a couple more guys that I know you've been eyeing. You were high on Grady Dick. They lost in the second round, but I think he played pretty well in the tournament, right? Yeah, he played well. I, I would say that he's going to end up a top ten pick. I, th- I think I, I I would be surprised. I don't know what else he needs to do, but you know, you'd want to talk about movement. Like, yeah, he's a guy that, because he's white, is going to get dinged for, like, athleticism. But, like, he moves really well. Like, he's really fluid without the ball. His feet are really good. But he was really good in the first round, too. But, you know, Arkansas, we called that. We should pat ourselves on the back, right? That, like, Well, that was the guy I was going to mention because there's a, there's a mixed bag. And I think since I'm going in descending order positions, Jordan Walsh, who I don't think starts. <laughs> he was fantastic on Yeah, Saturday. like, the, he's the big athletic, like, wing who's <laughs> – has alopecia but like his defense was just really i don't high i don't know you know i don't know if he'll declare I, it's it's weird like so eric musselman has this kind of like strategy where you know you have a couple transfers you have some kids sitting out you have some like older guys but then you have your freshman right and so we know nick smith's gonna go pro we know anthony black's gonna go pro but like i don't know if we know that jordan walsh is gonna go pro because he's just really not that skilled but my god did he make 
Kansas's life miserable on Saturday. Like that's the whole package of like what you're drafting. I think if you draft him, right. It's like super high energy, like super low to the ground. He wants to guard the best player. Like he, he's really emotional. Like I, I, uh, I don't think I'd draft him, Zan. I would have probably in the second round because he's, you know, he's young, he's athletic. But, like, man, oh, man, does that guy play his ass off. Like, well, yeah, he, I was watching he, the game. And, like, Kansas, sh- like, would go at him sometimes. I'm like, clearly this is not the matchup to go at. Like, oh, this guy's he, really good defender. He crushed you know? Jalen. Like, honestly, I like Jalen Wilson. Like, I think he's a good potential NBA player. Like, I think he's fine, right? He just was overwhelming. Like, he, he like, made his life so hard. It was interesting, though, because – you know, down the stretch, like Nick Smith wasn't a huge factor. Anthony Black it was not a huge factor. And I think both those guys will be top 10 picks. Right. But like they didn't have great tournaments. Uh, well, they're still going. But yeah, they, but yeah, I, I agree. I think Anth- I think, you know, the guy who's really fall. I think Anthony Black's like is what he is kind of. Yeah, um, I agree. You said it's but, hard for a big like six, seven guard to be super low floor. Right. But Nick Smith, yeah. I agree. He's definitely Nick Smith a is bit. a guy who's like in the opposite direction was like a top five pick to start the year. And he's been hurt and this hasn't looked like impactful in the tournament. He's like, let's see his stats right now in the tournament. First round two for 10, six points. Next game against Kansas, only 16 minutes over four shooting zero points for a guy who's supposed to be, you know, we said Jordan pool level scorer or something like he's just not showing up. And like, yeah, the best freshman scorer, right? Like, like, what do you do? I mean, he still has a chance. You know, they're still playing. But how far is his stock fallen? I saw he was down to 16 on some sites. I think he's still in the top 10 on most. But if you're 180, you're not a rebounder, and you're, I mean, like, what what can he do to, like, resuscitate his stock right now? Yeah, I think he just And he's going to have the chance if he's playing 16 minutes a night. Right. And I think one of the things like Debo Davis, like was so good down the stretch for Arkansas, like literally kept them in the game and then they obviously win the game. But he he isn't given the role, I think, that, you know, people expected, which is like you throw him the ball and he gets to score it a lot. Like they, they, Arkansas, Arkansas is an odd team. You know, Eric Musselman's out there like taking his shirt off and stuff. But it's it's not like they run a lot of plays specifically for him. They get out and transition a lot. He seems a little bit passive. The same thing with Anthony Black, too. So we don't really get to see, like, Nick Smith cook, right? And I think, like, ultimately people have who have seen Nick Smith understand, like, who he is and what he can do. But I, I definitely think that his stock – I think Anthony Black is probably still a top-10 pick unless he yeah. just really shoots it badly. But Nick Smith, I think, there's a chance, like, he'll fall out of the lottery. Well, and there there are these like, you know, it's interesting because like there are stretches. I'm looking it up. He started slow, he's hurt. There's a stretch he played Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Ken- Kentucky in the regular season. So four, you know, SEC teams, 26, 24, 12, 25 points per game. So it was like looked like he was trending up and then he just kind of crashed. I think it shows you something we talked about last week. It's like freshmen are just not always ready. And like some of the guys who came in as lottery picks, you know. Nick Smith this year is shooting 37% from the field. It's like, okay, he's not quite ready to dominate college basketball. Keontae George, who you liked, I never really liked, shooting 37% from yeah, the field and had, and had a dud in the second round. He had round a too. dud in the second round when they lost. Like, and so played. you're saying these guys can't do well in college as freshmen. Like, how are they going to be productive anytime soon in the NBA? Definitely, definitely fair. I, I think we've seen some instances of guys in worse situations who have turned into good players, but I I agree with you. I think it is, it's definitely a red flag. The Keontae George thing too, you know, he's just not a great athlete. And I think it's really hard as a guard. If you don't have, if you're not like an elite shooter or, you know, 
I'll use Jalen Brunson for example, right? Because that's a guy that I've been I was very wrong on. Not an elite athlete from a from a leaping ability perspective or quickness perspective, but like elite strength, elite balance, like elite sense. Okay. Like all those things allow him to be great. Whereas like Keontae George, like, do we see that from him? I, I don't think so. So if he's not an elite athlete, what's he hanging his hat on to to score at the next level? Now, I think Nick Smith's basketball IQ is a lot better than he gets credit for. It's one of the yeah. reasons I like Cam Thomas. Some guys are just wired to score. But uh, again, I, I think you're right to to kind of well, and, and a, you wonder how like these guys might fall. Like for example, you know, guys who enter as lottery picks and then just weren't productive. Like last year, just looking at last year, Caleb Houston fell to 32. He was considered a lottery pick going in. Max Christie fell through 35. Cam, Kennedy Chandler 38. Jaden Hardy 37. These guys were all considered like first rounders. And Peyton, even Peyton Watson was like a late first rounder, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, Peyton Watson's a good example, a guy who just was not productive at all in college. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think they're lottery tickets, like you said, like, and, and that's why this year's draft is kind of interesting at the college level because, you know, Brandon Miller, he, he has production, like elite college production. I know there are people who are detractors. Uh, obviously he's not played well. Looks like he, he could be hitting a wall or he could just come out on Thursday or Friday night whenever they play and just go berserk. But like, you know, to, to shoot 40 plus percent from three and average 19 plus points a game in the SEC on a team that's number one in the country as a freshman, like it's hard to look the other way on that, right? Grady Dick, same way, like elite production for a freshman in his role. Yeah. And the one last guy, Casey Wallace for Kentucky, only two rounds, but played well Man, he was good fan- defensively. He was fantastic against K State. And I think. Like I said, you can you can look and and I've used this expression before, but like you can squint and you can see some Shea Gilgis Alexander there. I don't think he's nearly as fluid as Shea. Like I don't think his movements with the ball are quite like Shea was, where you could just tell that like the dude was so raw. But man, Casey Wallace, super quick hands, like great defensive base, good enough athlete, uh, just not a great shooter, right? But I, I I feel pretty strongly that he's played his way into like the top twelve, maybe top ten. I mean, he well, was do you think so, he's past Nick Smith. So you're yeah, I do. Know. I do. And I think like, let's say you're Washington and you want a point guard for the future. Like who do you take? I don't know. I probably wouldn't draft either one of those guys, to be honest. If I wanted a point guard, I'd probably take Anthony black if he was there. Yeah. But I I think that case Wallace specifically is a good example of like, he has one thing he can hang his hat on. Right. He isn't, he is an elite on the ball defender for a college player. Now, whether or not that turns you, you know, we've seen this with Davion Mitchell, who was also an elite on the ball defender and has turned into a very, very good NBA defender but he's still relatively unplayable at times because he can't play offense. Now, Kaysen Wallace is three, four inches taller than him and get to the rim, like has a couple interesting finishes in his bag. So uh, I was, I was really impressed honestly with him. I think that game was Sunday, but man, he was, he was great. And Shibwe, I do want to, there are two other upperclassmen I'd like to say something about before we kind of sure. talk about the NBA, but like Shibwe, I don't know if he'll get drafted. Somebody probably will draft him and it's probably, you you could do worse with your second round picks, I think. Like he is old, he is not very good on offense. Uh, but man, he plays so hard and he just rebounds like an absolute animal. Like uh, Kenneth Farid is a kind of a, a the comp that you you look at with him, even though he's not quite that athletic. But like just the guy that goes and gets every single rebound, he's going to play hard in practice every single day. Like I think it's fine if somebody has Shibuya as like the forty fifth best player. I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, and then Jordan Hawkins, I think from Connecticut. So UConn plays Arkansas in a battle of like just the two most lunatic head coaches of all time. And it's going to be really interesting to watch Jordan Hawkins because I think he's really rising. He's he's shooting the absolute piss out of the ball. 
And uh, he's probably the one guy in UConn that has a chance to be a lottery pick this year. But against Arkansas with some bigger defenders, maybe they put Jordan Walsh on him. Not sure. Like, it'll be interesting to see how Jordan Hawkins does against a team that has legitimate NBA talent and length on it. And I think that game is is going to be very big for Jordan Hawkins' draft status in the sense that, like, people know that he's probably going to be a first-rounder. But, like, you know, let's say he just goes for, like, 35, right? I, I think you could see Jordan Hawkins, like, really, really shoot up draft boards because he's the one, like, probably elite shooter other than Grady Dick, right? And and I think he's not, you know, he's not that old. I think he's 20, might be 21, I'm not sure. But, like, that's a guy I think we should pay attention to because if he really shoots it well over the next week and they make a deeper, even deeper run, I think he's a guy that could really rise. Yeah, and I think shooting, obviously, no doubt, that's, like, an important skill in the NBA. But I think teams are realizing it's harder to, like, develop great shooting than you thought. You know, like Ben Simmons being the obvious example. But in general, it's like... You know, it's it's not the old logic was like you could teach a guy to shoot, and like we just haven't seen it's, that it's too not, often. Yeah, it's. I was having a conversation with somebody about um, DJ Wagner, Dewan Wagner's son, who's going to Kentucky next year. Although if Cal leaves, I don't know. I, I don't know if Cal's going to leave, but and they were saying like, is he really like the best player in the country? Because all I ever see him do is like get to the rim and score. Like I never see him make jump shots. And I was saying, you know, that's kind of how Tyrese Maxey was in high school and they said like yeah we've talked about before like maxi is like a 90th percentile outcome in turning someone into a shooter we really don't ever see that happen it's much yeah, you know it's like I, tony parker right like but who else have we seen really become go from a total non-shooter to becoming a, a playable jump shooter where it's a strength lebron honestly but brooke lopez but it's like um, well that that's different though right because yeah, like he's he like went from catch and shoot. yeah yeah exactly but, you know, I, it's something I, I come back to because I was thinking about if draft a few years ago, like Josh Jackson versus Jason Tatum was a debate. I would have taken Josh Jackson. And the idea is like he was more athletic or perceived to be more athletic and, and he, he could develop his skill set, whereas Jason Tatum was his sort of hit his ceiling because he wasn't a stellar athlete or right. perceived as a good defender. And I, I see that more and more like the NBA seems like they're better at developing, honestly, like if not athleticism, at least like strength. Yeah, strength, exactly. Like Tatum Deci- or decision- Steph Curry's gotten stronger. Decision-making, you know. balance, like all those functional things you can do, but like turning somebody from like a totally bad shooter into a good shooter. I mean, think about it, Zan. Like you've had so many reps over your career shooting a yeah. specific way. If you don't make jumpers that way, I mean, unless you're Sean Marion, right? Like somebody's going to try to fix your jump shot. You're going to spend so much time just doing that. And then it, it, I don't know this for a fact, but I would I would venture to guess if you're spending your entire offseason fixing your jump shot and you're not working on other things in your game, it probably detracts from your ability to improve in other areas where you yeah. could really make a living, right? So with Tatum, we saw really good as a rookie, made a lot of shots, mostly a corner three-point shooter. But when we watched his game take more steps, right, we watched him become better as a distributor, watched him become better as a team defender, like watched him become better, you know, having the ball and pick and rolls. Paul George, same same way, actually, when he was in Indiana, started as like a lockdown defender and then turned into a jump shooter and a, you know, pick and roll ball or whatever. But when you see guys like Michael Kidd Gilchrist or, you know, Josh Jackson, good example, they just have to make jump shots and they can't do Stanley Johnson, right? Like that's all we see It's like, all right, these guys are good defenders. They're good athletes, but the rest of their game doesn't ever improve. And is it because they spend so much time trying to fix their jumper? I, I don't know the answer to that, by the way. I just think it's an interesting. Well, and also like question. just in terms of like back end rotation or whatever, like seventh man, eighth man, 
it seems like more often like you're able to hang in the league if you're a decent shooter. You yeah. know, like they just need like fill in. If you can't shoot or you're a below average shooter, it's like your margin I mean, for error is just small. I mean, think about it. And this is a different, it's funny to think because it's 2023 now, but like this is a different kind of like year and era in the NBA. But like Shane Battier or Mike Miller is probably a better example, like coming off the bench for the Heat in the finals and like making jumpers, even though he was like totally unplayable on other sides of the floor, but he could make a jump shot. Brian Scalarini, same way. Like, Battier like passes prime defensively, but could make an open jumper. Like you'd rather play that guy, right? Than yeah, like Kyle Korver has a longer career than Andre Westbrook or something. Um, yeah, here's an interesting stat that I found on Reddit. On Xander Kellison posted this, um, <laughs> just to show you the emphasis on shooting. I think there's a few factors. Um, you know, you know the league in the NBA we're talking about now, like. Scoring's way up, efficiency's way up, and the the explanations are pace is up, three point shooting's way up in terms of attempts, right? The league's collective free throw percentage, right? So there's nothing to do with pace, nothing to do with distance. Same, it's been the same for 50 years, has gone up from 75%, 75.3 to 78.2. So a 3% jump from league wide in the last 10 years only. Yeah. And I think part of that is just playing more shooters at every and, position. And guys are probably taking, I would assume guys are taking more free throws too. Like It's actually about the same. It's gone down since like the 90s. Has, it, has it really? Free throw rates? Yeah. Because well, people are shooting threes and they don't get fouled as often yeah. shooting threes. I, I, guess, I guess free throw rate is probably down, but total free throws are up because you play more possessions. Yes, Does that true. make sense? Yeah. But my argument was probably like there's less bigs. You know, there's less Ben Wallace's out there. And then in general, there's not that many talking about guards or forwards there's not that many guards or forwards who are bad shooters yeah if you if you eliminate russell westbrook from the equation how many guards currently play that are like woeful shooters yeah i mean you really can't think of like a defense or even like a rondo who's like a pass first point guard who can't shoot like that doesn't really exist yeah you have to be so good to to play that way it's really interesting and now here's the thing like you can you know you can you can overcome some of that you know if you're russell westbrook but if you're not, yeah, it's, it's really hard for sure. And let's, let's, so that's a good segue. So let's talk about kind of what we wanted to talk about as our NBA topic beyond the draft. You know, best shooting big man ever is something uttered by Xander Gellison before. But Carl Towns, Carl Anthony Towns, is apparently making his debut uh, possibly Wednesday night. And Anthony Edwards, who's missed two in a row, uh, may be also back on Wednesday. And I think it's it's really interesting because Minnesota's in the eighth spot. They're 36 and 37, but they're only a game behind Golden State for the sixth spot. Dallas is sandwiched in between them. Dallas and Golden State have a game against each other uh, this week. And then, you know, Utah and Oklahoma City are Well, yeah, let me read it like in order. So I think the top five in the West are set. That's Denver, Memphis, Kings, Suns, Clippers. They'll all make it. It seems unlikely that Golden State can get there because they just can't win any road games. But yeah, I agree. The top five. So the guys that are really stacked together, six spot, Golden State, 37 and 36, Dallas, 36 and 36, Minnesota, 36 and 37, Oklahoma City, 35 and 36. Utah, 35 and 36, and the Lakers, 35 and 37. It looks like New Orleans and Portland are falling out of it. Man, Portland uh, is a is a Portland's motivated fire. to fall out of Just it. Just a dumpster fire, man. Like, but so yeah, so there's really one of those teams is gonna miss the play in. One of those teams is gonna avoid the play in and be the sixth seed. So, like, what how does that shake out? 
I'm going to assume New Orleans misses the plan, right? No yeah. Zion. Like, we don't, he, I mean, he's just never coming back. Apparently, that's just a thing. Uh, LeBron is probably going to be back at some point. And so you you probably would have to figure, you know, LA is what, half a game back of yeah. New Orleans right now. So you got to think LA is the favorite. No, LA is a, technically a half game up and they're a half game behind. The oh, half game behind have, Utah. Sorry about that. Yeah, so, Utah and Oklahoma City, who no one expected to be in these situations. Right. right. So, I would assume New Orleans misses, and I think Utah probably misses too, right? Like Utah. Yeah, it seems like Utah's kind of veering into the let's tank mode. I think because I don't know playing. they beat they beat Sacramento Monday night. So I know, but I think they were starting like Simon Finecchio or something. Like they were playing like a weird lineup. Um, I mean, it is getting to that time of year where we get to call out players who you know they've worked their entire lives to make the NBA, and instead we we criticize teams for playing them because they're they're not trying to win. But well, if Portland is they're experts in the tank. They've lost six in a row. Like they and Dame's probably not coming back now. He's saying, or he might shut it down. Yeah, well, I mean, why? Which is smart. Like they're they're you know in the range of a top six, seven pick, and maybe in the lottery they get lucky. Um, but. The other teams besides New Orleans are really trying. Let me find that Jazz lineup. If I, if, so I, I guess the this is the Jazz lineup. Oh no, they they started Horton Tucker. Kessler's been pretty good. Olenek's yeah. been pretty good, but they had Agbaji starting and played well. Twenty seven. What's wrong with that? He's and Simone Finecchio. That was the guy that I'm like, hmm, something's fishy here. <laughs> There's something fishy here. So my question to you is: is this? Uh, we we've talked about the Lakers at length. Like we think they might be dangerous in a playoff spot, yeah. but Golden State is good, right? Dallas is good. Um, Minnesota is potentially good. Do you think I, so? I mean, are we saying good for a 500 team? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, they have Kyrie Irving and Luca. It's hard. They're going to have the best player in a lot of series they play in, aren't they? The Golden State hasn't looked comfortable all year. Wiggins is no sign of returning. Personally, yeah, I don't. Series. The Golden State thing is really interesting because at some point they're going to have to win a road game. And they have seven road wins this year. That's and the, the Wiggins thing has not gotten attention really nationally. Yeah, because they won a title last year and he was good. So his grace period is like, do whatever you want. But he's just not playing. And then there was, there's some Reddit rumors about why that are weird. Oh, um, let's hear it. Let's, let's I don't speculate know if I wildly. <laughs> I, I mean, don't know not, I you're not reporting it. No, no. I, I mean, because it's like personal stuff. But um, but yeah, that's his only, limit. If, they, if he's not playing. Yeah, he's played 37. He's played 37 games. Yeah, so if he doesn't play the rest of the year, then I think that does limit their ceiling. Forgetting the road thing. I just when, chalk when, up the road thing as like a weird When's the last? When when did he play most recently? All right, he played February 13th. That was the last game he played in. And yeah, he missed a ton of time remember at the start of the year, too. Maybe he had a really bad Valentine's Day and just that's, shut it down after that. That's very possible. Yeah, I, I think obviously that, that makes... Total sense. But you know, Wizards, I mean, the Warriors might miss the playoffs, but they're currently third favorite to win the West on Bovada. Yeah, that seems insane. Um, I would I would love to fade that. They're not gonna win the West. I, I it, like they can't win a road game. They just can't if you want Minnesota, Minnesota is 125 to one to win the West. Yeah, I don't want Minnesota to win the West because I, I don't think they'll be able to integrate towns quickly, right? And Anthony Edwards coming back from injury is obviously a concern because you know he can get very volumey when things aren't going well, and it's tough when you're coming back from an ankle sprain like he had. And they they won on Monday night without him. They survived a Julius Randle fifty seven point outbreak. Well, you know the team uh, that's outburst. playing as well as anyone in the West, number two seed Sacramento. Are they two or three? They're uh, three right now. They're a game back of eighteen Memphis. to one. Like, no one respects them still. Also not. Uh, also not going to win the West. So you think it's between the favorites, Phoenix plus two forty, Denver plus two seventy. Yes. Clippers and uh, I would put the Clippers in the mix. Yeah. Plus 600. 
I think that the Clippers, um, and again, we were going to talk about the bottom of the West, but I do think like the Clippers have played pretty well with Kawhi and Paul George. They're they're trying to figure it out. They have a lot of depth. Like, I just don't want to give up on the Clippers. Is that fair? Like Dallas is, or Denver is not playing great of late, right? Yeah. But like, is Kawhi has been like yeah, Kawhi is rounding into good. form. Like, and if the he's team good, in general, not to be a box score guy or a stats guy, but like. 18th in SRS, 17th in defense, 14th in def. I mean, 17th in offense, 14th in defense. I don't know. There's nothing like on paper that makes you think this is like the super team. Except, except for the fact that they have the same thing going for them that the Sixers do. That when Kawhi and Paul George play, it's like when Harden and Embiid play. Like they're one of the best teams in the NBA when both those guys play together. So Russell Westbrook's playing pretty well for them. Russell Westbrook is a pretty good NBA player. How many times do we have to do this? Like Westbrook Russell. is like fine. You know, he's fine. Only a and negative 1.6 box score. Now we can't, now we can't Only three and a half, 3.8 turnovers. They're paying game. him nothing. We yeah, can't complain true. about him anymore. He's not getting paid. Like he, It's still the Lakers. Do, do, do you think, would you have the Lakers as a favorite over uh, like the Clippers, assuming LeBron comes back healthy? Which I don't know. that no. There's no guarantee of that, by the way. I, I tend to agree with you. The Clippers would be scary to play against. Just because like you just think that you know they have a guy who could be the best player in a series. I mean, we've seen him do it. It's just like yeah, Paul happens. George might be the second, the best second banana. You know, like they have it. It's just like, can they, you know, for all the talk about Ty Lue's coaching genius, like he hasn't really figured out this team yet or how to play. Well, they were good two years ago. And then, yeah, like Kawhi got hurt, which was a killer. And then, I mean, they <laughs> lost the game with Kawhi anyway, but. You well, know. the Clippers always seem like they overachieve when the expectations are low, but they underachieve when expectations are high. Is that fair? I mean, this is a yeah. That's that's fair. I mean, they still have never made the conference finals. Like, do we think they're going to break that streak this year? They definitely could. They could. And then poor Denver is struggling with this MVP narrative. Do you want to get into that? It's really I've never seen an MVP race it's, change it's, on a dime. Like so, this. so there was a thing, uh, and you can tell me what the Bovada odds are as you have them up. But there was yeah. a big tweet like this week. I don't remember who it was. Maybe Windhorse. That guy always tweets unnecessary stuff. About how Joel Embiid had like officially shifted to the MVP favorite in the betting markets, right? And uh, I just want to say that I don't understand. I, I just don't get it. Like I understand why, but I, I don't agree with why. No, but it, like it's totally fine for any of. In, in my opinion, this specific season, if any of these Jokic, what's what I'll say Embiid first, okay? Embiid, Jokic. Giannis or Tatum, any of those four guys, if they win the MVP, it's fine with me. I don't care. Honestly, I think James Harden should get some down ballot votes. He's been that good for Philly. I think Lucas season has probably been good enough. But like this whole nonsense, like like Philly is trying so hard to win the MVP for MB. This is a guy that is never healthy at the end of the season, right? He's never 100% in the playoffs. They played him in a weeknight back-to-back versus Charlotte and then Indiana. Like, why are they doing this? Why does it matter this much, Zan? I understand it. Like, and I don't, I, I don't agree with you on like Tatum winning. Like Tatum's kind of fallen off a little bit. No, I'm, but, I'm telling you it's fine. In my opinion, it's fine if he wins. I, no, he's not I don't going think to win. He's, he's way out of the, he's way yeah. out of the country. I think any of the top three are, are worthy. Um, Jokic and Bede, Giannis. Uh, it's just weird. And I don't mind Embiid winning, even if he's not my pick because he's finished second twice. And like, okay, maybe he he's, cl- he's clearly good enough to win the MVP. His season is clearly MVP caliber. Yeah. But like, people don't want to talk about it. Like, the, the argument that why his, Jokic's odds have dropped publicly in the media is 
oh, you know, Denver lost four in a row. They, they've been a little cool, but like, why would that matter when you lose or what streak you lose? They're still the one seed. They're still the one seed with a bullet. They're three and a half games up. Like, it doesn't matter if they no. win, four, if they lose four games in a row where they win, like they win one, lose one, win. One. It doesn't matter. Arguing it's that like completely the stretch, useless. Arguing that, that the stretch run for the one seed matters to the MVP when they were like five clear of set. Like, sure, if they give up the one seed, like you, you said this, I think two weeks yeah. ago, if they lost the one seed, it makes a lot of sense. But if they win the West, like. Yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. If you win by half a game, you know, win by one game in the West, or you win by six in the West. But the, the other the, the other part of this that's like so odd to me, right? And this is we've we've talked about this a bunch the last couple of weeks, because I've said a, a whole bunch of times, like I think you should vote Giannis for MVP on Bobata, but I don't think it matters because I just don't think Giannis can possibly win. But there's all these like detractors of Jokic, right? And and since I live in the Philadelphia area, you know, this the crowd is like so butthurt. They just want Embiid to win so bad. It's like the radio talks about it all the time. Like, but they always talk about how like Embiid is a much better defender than Jokic. Yeah. But like, if that's the case, then why doesn't Giannis get more credit than Embiid when his team has won a better record? His best player has been an absolute shell of himself for this season, his second best player. Whereas Embiid's playing with James Harden, who's putting together one of the best seasons he's had in like five years, right? And Giannis is a better positional defender. Like, I understand his block and steal numbers are lower, but, like, the way they guard and how they guard, Giannis is a better defender than Embiid. So, like, how does it work against Jokic, but all of a sudden Giannis is just this weird-ass afterthought? And his team has got the best record in the NBA. Yeah. Like, what is it, going I on? I totally agree with you. Logically, you understand Embiid over Jokic. You d- it's harder to explain Embiid over Giannis. If um, you're making that argument, right? right? Like, like the I, transactional property or whatever yeah, it's called. Correct. Like it's again, it is totally. But you know fun. what it is? This is me talking. This is Andrick, not Tyler. Oh, no. I think the MVP race shifted when Kendrick Perkins. No, do you really races. think so? I really think that. I think he kind of guilt tripped voters into saying if you vote for Jokic three times, it feels racist. Well, you're not, nobody, nobody is like um Nobody's cast their ballot yet, right? So no, no one's cast their ballot. But I, I see the reaction. All of a sudden, the people who are so steadfast, Jokic, are like equivocating, and like Zach Lowe, who I listen to and I like. I heard him planting the seeds of why, why he's going to switch for Jokic from Jokic when he was like, he's like, I said, I wrote before, you know, in the early in the season that Jokic's defense isn't as good this year, even though like statistically, there's no real differentiation. This is this. Hold on, real quick. This is the part that annoys me about people like Zach Lowe who use advanced analytics to make decisions. It doesn't matter if his defense on the defensive side of the court is worse, if his offense is better. Like, it doesn't make any difference. If his on-off offense-defense splits have improved, then because he's a little bit worse in pick and roll, it's it's not a factor in that decision because he's still producing more value well, and then he also would. he was he was saying that his defense is worse than it was last year, which I don't know where you get that from. He's just saying eye test. Yeah, he's a fine defender. Like he's And then the other thing he used to cite that is he had 15 kicked balls last year and 45 this year. And so he says that's lazier defense, but kicking the ball. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold anything. on a second. Jokic kicked the ball 45 times or he passed it and somebody kicked it. No, no. He literally better. with his foot kicked the ball to like have a dead ball. And I'm like, that doesn't really hurt your team in any real way. Oh, right? reset, it's just sort of like you get to reset your defense. Yeah, like, it's probably. I mean, it, and he even admitted it's like it's a good thing, but it's just not a good basketball play. It's not a pretty play. I'm like, who cares? So you're trying to this is this is like the classic overthinking where you're like, well, I think it's the you think you're like, the smartest guy in the room. So you're like, no, I think it's more of like, I feel white guilt now. I'm trying to justify switching my vote. 
And so, I okay. think it's going to be closer than we so, think. I think Jokicville might win, though. I don't so, know. So, okay, this is fine. George, Car- by the way, George Carl had a bull- whole thing about how he's. Oh, yeah, he was racist in the other way. I yeah, because, like, because, like, it beat up lazy body language. It's great stuff, honestly. Yeah. So, my question to you is this If what you're saying is correct, my theory, yeah. And it's, it's white guilt, which, you yes. know, who the, who the hell knows? Then why doesn't Giannis get to win? Because he's already won? That's a good so, question. So, so is this like inception of narrative, Zan, where we're, we're so in one narrative that like we're also in another one where like well, no, we have I voter fatigue, then we have the race thing. <laughs> I like, think it's 20% white guilt, 40% voter fatigue, 20% like media boredom, recency bias where it's like, oh, Denver's been bad this month. Let's switch the vote because we need something to talk about. And, you know, I just don't. Why? Who do you vote for, though? Because I think it's a legitimate. I would vote for Giannis. I would vote for Giannis today. Um, I, would, I, think- I would vote for Jokic based on a little silly. He's played not silly. He's played eight more games than Giannis. That's a lot. Honestly, that's, that's a, a fair. That's a fair determining factor. Yeah, and if you're that valuable, the eight games out of eighty, that's a big difference. They matter quite a bit. I, I yeah. totally agree with that. I think, um, given how the Bucks roster has looked this year, I think Giannis's ability to carry his team to the one seed in my opinion is more impressive than Jokic's because the for you know for the longest time we use supporting cast as a thing and like don't get me wrong the Bucks are really good but like Chris Middleton has truly not been very good this year yeah, Drew Holiday's good been point. good but he's not been great they've had injuries to Bobby Portis like I I do think that as I said before voting for any of these three in my opinion, is personal preference, and I think it's all justifiable. If Embiid wins, I predicted at the beginning of the year that I thought he was going to win, and I think it's totally reasonable. I don't think it is fair, and I I have stand for James Harden less on this podcast in the last year than I ever had in my life. He obviously put up a dud against the Bulls on Monday night. He is having a fantastic season. Their offense is really good, and a lot of the reason why is because of him. And I understand that he puts up clunkers more than Embiid. But for some reason, like MB doesn't get docked at all for clearly having the second best player of the other teams. That's a good point. And then I I was thinking the Middleton points well made. And then also I was thinking like, well, Jamal Murray hasn't been that good this year, except I looked at the stats. He's averaging he's he's playing six. He's playing a lot better. He's career high in assists, career high in free throw attempts. I mean, he's he's statistically just as good as he's been. So um, that's not a great argument. And maybe the West is not as strong. So being the one seed in the West is not as meaningful as being the one seed in the East. Could you argue that? That's possible. Honestly, that's definitely possible. I, I just don't like, here's the thing. I, I know I keep saying this, but like, I don't really care who wins. I just don't appreciate that. Like people act like Embiid is like slept on like, Oh, like the media is out to get Embiid. Like they don't, they don't appreciate him. Like, meanwhile, Philly's out here, like playing him 40 minutes a night down the stretch in games that like, aren't that important. Like, yeah, they're four games up against Cleveland, so against the Cavs, he should play 40 minutes, but, like... It's almost irresponsible. He's playing 35 minutes this, this is season. This is... Daryl Morey has done this before, too. Like, played hard in a million minutes for Houston, so he would win the MVP, and then he's not 100% in the playoffs. And, like, it, I think it's irresponsible to say, like, Embiid winning the MVP because that's his specific mindset is that he feels he's the MVP and he should win it. Hmm. They're going to put that ahead of the fact that, like, they have a team that can win the title, in my opinion. 
So yeah. why aren't you like putting yourself in the best position to win the title rather than like, oh, Embiid wants to win MVP. So like, let's do that for him. Like, yeah, what you could argue wrong? maybe they're fighting for this two seed, but in general, it feels like they're fighting for MVP versus like getting ready for the playoffs. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know how much can change in 10 weeks. Apparently, I mean, 10 games, apparently a lot because Jokic has dropped. I, you know, they don't have the odds actually on Bovada for the new updated stat, but I think Embiid's been the favorite everywhere. Yeah. Now, let the me last see. I, last I saw, he was the favorite. MVP odds. But it's it's been a massive shift, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago that yeah. like Jokic was like minus two fifty or something, and Giannis was like plus seven hundred. I think Embiid was like plus four hundred. That is a massive shift, massive difference based weeks. on very little. It's you know, it's not like Jokic has been hurt or something. So you, right now, uh, cross sites, Embiid's about minus one eighty. Jokic is about plus two fifty to three hundred, and Giannis, at your point, is like plus four hundred. Not really in the mix as much. It's weird. It's it's a very weird late surge. Um, it's sort of like the opposite of the Bradley effect, if you know that in, in politics, where um, the old thinking was that white people said they would vote for a black candidate, but the last minute they really wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of the opposite, where it's like they get you know their race is like switching in the other direction. Um, I mean, the other thing, real, real, I, real, I think that's a factor. I really do I, think. I think it's factor. fine to say that. Also, like Philly has been playing well while this narrative has been going on they had won eight straight before they lost to Chicago but wait you know what night. i will say about the kendrick perkins thing he used some wrong stats he said like mvp voters were 80 percent white turns yeah, out they're not it's 68 percent white yeah but i think there's a little merit to the idea that dirk and nash were helped by being white i mean the first mvp steve nash should not have won Shaq should have won the first one i think the second one tal boger told us like that one was fine dirk's season yeah. was really good though Dirk's season was good. I, I'd have to look up the exact thing. But I can't I remember think... if like, he definitely deserved it or not. I, like, I, I'm not saying... See, the, the tough part about, I think, discussions like that is that you need to know like who acts in good faith and who isn't. And so like, I don't really understand Kendrick Perkins. Like, he, he gets on TV and he says a lot of like wild stuff and he acts like he's this like gatekeeper of the locker room. But like, largely, former players are kind of stupid when it comes to comments, conversations like this. So J.J. Reddick's saying it's like irresponsible to make that argument and like you need to make it about basketball like i don't think it's irresponsible to talk about it but like to scream about it i think is irresponsible right because well, and also when you're talking about it you should use like correct stats and correct you know That's, like here's some stats for you the first mvp year for steve nash if you want to say win shares as a way to judge um he finished ahead of shack barely Shaq was barely ahead of him in win shares, but both were well behind Dirk Nowitzki, actually, who finished third, averaging 26 and 10 at the time, which is much better than it sounds now. Yeah. The next year, Steve Nash won more easily, although the split vote, there was actually... Yeah, um, Kobe scored a bunch. That was the year Kobe averaged like 35 points a game, right? Yeah, and he finished fourth, actually, but with yeah. the second most MVP votes. Yeah. First place. It was interesting. They have Steve Nash finished with 57. LeBron finished second, 16 first place. Dirk 14 again led this group in win shares. Kobe 22 first place votes. Chauncey Billups had 15 first place Here, votes. Here's here's the main and Elton issue. Brand had one. Think about That's that. Funny. Here's the main issue I think with this discussion is that okay, first of all, Jokic is a historically great NBA player at this point in his career. Like historically great, no question about it. However, there have the the list of people that have won three straight MVP awards is like, you know. Some of the 10 Larry best, Bird right, or whatever. you know, so because we haven't had that happen 
And because like LeBron, who is either the first or second best player in NBA history, hasn't won three straight MVP awards, it's hard to look at a guy like Jokic and say like, ah, he should win a third MVP award. Part of that is the electorate being like, this guy's game is not what you'd expect, right? Like he's not going to lead the NBA in scoring. His team is good, but like he, you know, like you said, he's slow. He like waddles around, like he kind of looks odd. But because like somebody else hasn't done that doesn't mean that it's not a deserving thing for him now. So saying like, oh, there's voter fatigue and that's why Giannis didn't win a third MVP or uh, in a row. And now Jokic shouldn't like that doesn't make any sense. It's just because in the past we didn't do that doesn't mean it's not a deserving thing now. And I don't like the idea that it's like it's someone else's turn to do that. And I'll tell you what, I, I vividly remember doing our wins draft and drafting Philly first and telling you that I thought it was Embiid's turn to win the MVP because that's how this shit works. But it doesn't make it right. It's it's the wrong way to evaluate who's the best basketball player. And so because I, we have I this- will, oh, yeah, because I mean, like the using the precedent when the precedent changes all the time, the criteria yeah, changes stupid. all the time. Steve Nash, though, I will say to Kendrick Perkins' point, the second year he won MVP, he averaged eighteen four and ten, playing bad defense. Do we know his defense was bad? Yeah, don't you remember the Suns? Like the big thing about the Suns was people didn't understand that they actually were a fine defensive team, but because they played really fast, they gave a lot of points, and people thought they were a bad defensive team. Maybe they finished 16th in defense efficiency. That's LeBron, not middle of the road. Middle of the LeBron road. that year finished with 31, seven and seven, and won 50 games. That I think his problem is he was 21 at the time, so maybe people yeah, thought it was you wait, too early. you're supposed to like wait your turn, blah 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 blah, and and you know Nash going to the Suns did change how good the Suns were. Now, some of that was Steve Nash for sure. Some of it was also Mike D'Antoni, right? They played very different. So, and and again, I don't think like to make an argument in 2023, I don't really think debating an MVP vote in 2005 or 2006 is the best way to do it because like LeBron that year, just to show how good he's been. He was playing with was 17 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. His starting lineup, Eric Snow at age 32. Love it. Um, Larry Hughes, who was pretty good at the time, Flip Murray started 25 games, yeah. Drew Gooden and Agauskas. They won 50 games for another guy who's been doing it for a while, Coach Mike, Mike Brown. Brown. I will say, I, I don't think you listen to the uh, you don't listen to the Kelsey Brothers podcast, do you? Like Jason Kelsey, no, and Travis Kelsey clips sometimes. So, uh, they were talking, and obviously, like they're Ohio guys, they went to Cincinnati. So, Travis Kelsey, who's more of like a Hollywood guy, if you will, you know, just hosted SNL. And he was talking about having an old LeBron jersey because, like, they were kids when LeBron broke into the NBA, right? Not much younger, but he said he had, like, a blue, that old, like, blue LeBron jersey where it was, like, blue with, like, red and gold on the arms. And he asked Jason if he had a Cavs jersey, and he did. And he said he had a Cavs jersey. Do you want to guess what player Jason Kelsey's jersey was? Drew Gooden? I don't know. No. Anderson Marischow. Oh, I like that. So on brand for an offensive lineman to have like a kooky looking dude who does the dirty work as a jersey. I thought that was pretty funny. But I, uh, I don't know. Like, again, would you, do you feel confident saying Embiid's going to win MVP this year, by the way? Like, do you think it's done? No, I don't think it's done. But I think he's likely to win if it's this week. Maybe he'll get hurt, lose, though. What, what if they lose, like, three games in a row? I mean, here's the thing. They're going to play him every damn game down the And stretch. it's going to be annoying when, like, Embiid hits a buzzer beater and everyone's going to be like, oh, he's MVP now. Well, he did that, remember? March, he hit know, a buzzer beater on a Friday night, and then Jokic missed the buzzer beater against the Nets the next day. Yeah, and there was so, a lot it's of... silly. There was a lot Whatever, of Whatever, it's a fair race. That. It's just weird that it. if you thought Embiid was the MVP 
now you probably did a month ago. So what? Right. Changed? It's it should not have changed. These guys have played. Yeah, Giannis as well. Like you said, Tatum's falling off a little bit, and actually Luca's having like an amazing year, and it's not really getting talked about because they're thirty six and thirty six, and that's probably how it should be. But like these dudes, these three guys have played this level of basketball like basically the entire year. And it's be interesting if any other races change. There's some talk about Jalen Williams, rookie of the year, your guy. You were He's high good. on him. He's very good for a winning um, team. I think if they make the playoffs, then that becomes stronger, and that becomes maybe a debate. Orlando's. This is going to sound crazy, but Orlando's like only 29 and 43. They could be a lot worse than they are. Obviously, like Oklahoma yeah. City's 35 and 36. They're probably going to make the playing game, which is good. People get to see Jalen Williams. Uh, but is the voting after the playing? That'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But all right, let's wrap it here. Uh, probably talk a little bit more about NCAA tournament games next week. But can I give one pick for NCAA tournament? I'm doubling down on Creighton. I think Alabama might lose against San Diego State. But if they make oh, that's it, a, that's a super interesting matchup because San Diego State will shoot zero threes and Alabama will shoot a ton. I'm just saying if Alabama matches up as the heavy favorite against Creighton, take Creighton, have some faith. All right. Here is my one pick for this week. I don't know if this game is Thursday or Friday uh, and I don't care to bet the spread, uh, but I would tell you to go on Bovada and look at the FAU. Tennessee under, I believe it should be right around 130. And uh, I would say that that is a uh, pick that I would like to make. In fact, I have already made it, but uh, Tennessee, you know, they really guard. And one of the reasons they scored against Duke was they were able to offensive rebound. Uh, I don't think they'll do as well against FAU, which is surprising to say, but FAU is pretty athletic. They're a pretty good rebounding team. I'd expect this game to play in the sixties. Uh, so let's go 63, 58. As a score, I don't know who's going to win, but we'll we'll go under. You don't know who's going to win on a five point game. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I guess Tennessee will win, but they can't. They really can't score. Like they really struggle to score. And a team like FAU, like like Duke, it's it's interesting, right? Because Duke got this like a ton of steam, like right up to the end of the tournament. Like everyone's like, oh man, this Duke team's super talented, which is true. But like their guards weren't that good. They were young. They kind of have some soft guys, and like the refs just let Tennessee play their style. FAU is not going to worry about that. Like FAU is going to be like, fine. You guys want to like as Rick Barnes called it, get in the mud, like we're cool with that. And I think that's where, you know, I'm not saying that I don't expect Tennessee to win. I, I'm sure they do win more times than not, but I just don't think that they're a team that's going to be affected. Like Duke was like shell-shocked, Zan, that Tennessee was like allowed to play as physically as they were. It actually was really funny because, you know, for people that have like watched Duke their entire career and you just watch Mike Krzyzewski like stare at the rest and get calls, like it was pretty funny to watch Duke just like, look completely bamboozled by the fact that they weren't getting the whistle. So I actually appreciated it. I'm not even really a Duke hater, but. And you're high. You give the Georgetown hire of Ed Cooley a, a high grade. I really like that. I, th- I think Ed Cooley's great. I think he wins. I think he can win anywhere. I think they should be. I don't know if they'll be on like a national title contender on a regular basis, but I definitely think they'll be like the early JT three years where they can get to the final four. Like I, I think that's, they all, that, that's all we want. That's yeah. all we want is a church. Number. They're paying okay. him 6 million a year. So, you know, hopefully he gets there. But anyway, so that's it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, you can, he is Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. And you can email the show at Zan Drick Ellison at gmail.com. And uh, as always, Zan, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.